Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Today we start a new series. It's called, uh, let's put this, this slide up. It's called Garden Church Essentials of Kingdom Life. And today we're, we're going to start a seven-week series um, talking and explaining and teaching through our, our cultural values as a church. Now, most of these values will sound familiar, um, but as we teach through them, we want them to become, as a community, who we are and who we are becoming as a community. And so for these, these values, which are in no particular order, there's seven, um, we see them as uh, cultural values that every single disciple of Jesus, Jesus can embody in their own life. They're also directions, meaning that they are moving us in a particular direction as a community together. These values are also um, values that every house church will embody, but also practices that they will, uh, cr- they will practice. They're disciplines that they will practice in their community. So every Sunday for the next seven weeks, we'll talk about a different value and we'll land with, hey, how do we practice these in our daily lives as individuals and as community together? That way um, we can uh, be shaped by what we do, by our habits. And we've done extensive work talking about how habits form us, not just belief systems, not just narratives, but our daily habits and things like that. So that's what this is about. So my, my thought really is over the next seven weeks, I just wanna like download some teaching give you uh, some encouragement for where our church is going, and hopefully it will be something that you will continue to grow in uh, as we move forward in Christ. Because I just, I just see these as, as things we've embodied, as we, we've tried to become over the last eight years as a church, um, but they are also uh, specific now. So we've really named the things that we want to be as a church. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so hopefully we will be shaped by these. So the, the the first one I'm going to talk about, since we're all together, is a life shared with loving family. So the fr- there are no particular values. There's seven of them. But the first value I'm going to talk about is what it looks like to be at the garden. It, it is to have a life shared with loving family. And when I use the word family, I want to, I want to just clarify what I mean. Um, I mean covenantal community. Okay, so we're gonna dis- we're gonna define this today, but covenantal community. A covenant is uh, an agreement made by um, uh, sorry, it's an agreement that brings about meaningful relationship between people. So when I use the word community or covenantal community, I'm I'm describing what I'm gonna describe as family and define today. Are you with me? If you have a Bible, go to Acts two. Let's anchor our text, anchor ourselves in the text, and go from there. We got chairs coming in in the back. Acts chapter two. Uh, these verses are, are gonna be so familiar, but they're visionary vi- verses for us. They're helpful to remind us of what we're about as a church and uh, where we're moving. Acts 2.42, we've talked about this last week. Uh, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
This is a beautiful, picturesque uh, image of what the church can look like when the Spirit of God comes, when the mission of God's moving, and when the people of God are, are operating the way they were intended to be. Go to Acts chapter 4, um, verse 32. Another picture in the early kind of account of the New Testament, or of the New Testament church, excuse me. In verse 32, Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I find that hard to believe. Anyone else? Like, we're talking thousands of people at this point in Acts 4. They were one heart and mind. I mean, I can't say that about my household right now. Like, I can't. It's crazy. No one, no, I can't. Just once everyone's asleep. No one claimed, (laughs) no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So these are the early pictures of the church, and these anchor this idea of family, of becoming a shared, loving family. What does it look like to have a life shared with loving family? So this is all I'm going to do today. I'm going to give you six kind of clarification statements of what I mean by that, what a life shared with loving family is, and then land with very simple five disciplines or practices that you can begin to embody that will help shape us. And what I I envision and what I've seen over time is that um, a house church creates an environment where the environment itself will produce Christ-like byproducts. So what I mean by that is I believe that our house churches are being designed to cultivate a type of atmosphere and environment where you don't need to tell people what you're about, but by just doing the things that we're going to teach the next seven weeks, the things we're about will be embodied in people. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, six clarifying statements to help define it and five practices to help live them out. So number one is a life share with loving family is the primary context for discipleship to Jesus. So there are two dominant metaphors in the New Testament for the people of God. Um, and for the people of God, are, and those two are disciples of Jesus and family. So family is not optional to discipleship. And why, why this is so important is this. A recent nationwide, study, uh, nationwide survey called the State of Discipleship said that 38% of Americans' preferred method of discipleship is on my own. So Nearly 40% of American Christians prefer their own form of discipleship. So the reason that doesn't, and I hear this all the time, but I was having a great conversation with one of our house church pastors. He was talking about his view of God growing and, and moving this past week and, I was, and over the last season. And it was so powerful. And one of the comments I, I, I said to him was, it's so amazing that you can have this experience. But remember, your discipleship is always in context of community. You can't journey with God alone um, and think that it's me, myself, and Jesus without being rooted and anchored into a covenantal community. That's not how discipleship works. There are 59 commands in the New Testament for one another's. So what that means is if you went to Alaska to live by yourself in solitude, you couldn't obey the 59 commands of the New Testament because you need people to do that. Now, this pushes back, back against narcissism and individual, uh, our individualistic culture 
But this is why family is so important for us. And I, I love what Ronald Rollheiser says. I put this up there for your notes. Um, part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all the real human faults that are there and the tensions that this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian can never be an individualistic quest, the pursuit of God outside of community, family, and church. The God of the incarnation tells us that anyone who says he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with a visible neighbor on earth is a liar since no one can love a God who cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. Hence, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. So life shared with loving family is the primary context for discipleship. Number two, a life shared with loving family is countercultural. Remember, our cultural default setting is individualism. So you, everything in your life is designed to make you, it's consumer-oriented, it's materialistic, it's narcissistic, it's dr- self-driven. Everything is designed to make your life the center of the universe and easier. Okay, so when we talk about sharing life with family, that itself is a counter-formational practice or discipline. So the default setting is shaping you in a particular direction towards individualism, but by just belonging to a group of family intentionally, you are practicing a counter-formational discipline. You with me? Let me tell you the cultural problem. So Mother Teresa said this, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. In 2001, about one out of eight Americans, 12% of the U.S., identified themselves as lonely, but in 2012, that doubled. It's nearly 25%. And isn't it interesting that in 2012, uh, since the rise of social media, there's an increase of loneliness. Um, there's a, uh, um, in a, another wide-ranging um, study, the n- number of people who said they have no one to discuss importance matter with had doubled in the same time span to 25%. So people, um, like we heard a testimony last week from Nora who said, I didn't have anyone to call. So I thought, where, where, how do I meet friends? She showed up to Alpha because she had no one to call because she moved her life here for her work. Um, and that speaks to what Robert Putman, uh, the famous sociologist who wrote the book Bowling Alone. I'm just giving you a bunch of downloads real quick. He, he wrote this book called Bowling Alone, and he traces what's happened since the 1960s across our society. Across our society, the involvement in any kind of community, not just the church, but church, reading clubs, political activism, sports teams, Elks clubs, and bowling leagues, have been in steep decline since the 60s. So we talk about, in America, people are not showing up to church like they used to over the past few decades, but the truth is, culture is telling a different narrative. People are not participating in any kind of community, period, and that's on a steep decline. So culture is moving further and further away from community of any kind and moving closer and closer to individualism. And it's easy to miss this because we have this thing called social media. And how many of you did our Seek Week? So we got, yeah, a bunch, okay, a quarter of us, okay. So we, some of us fasted from media. I was talking to one guy who said, I have an hour and a half commute every day, and I prayed the entire time. My, my, my week is normally up and down and up and down, but this week it was just steady. 
I was talking to people about being bored. People felt bored for the first time because they eliminated social media and media. The hardest day, if you missed out, was Monday. And how many of you know why? Coffee. Coffee. Apparently, I was in a meeting with some of our staff, and she go, one of our staff members goes, Darren, are you angry? You seem angry right now. <laughs> yeah, coffee. I need coffee. Um, so we have all this form of connectivity, but connection is not the same as covenantal community. I love, Sherry Turkle writes this in Alone Together. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We, we're, we're rather tech, we'd rather text than, than talk, excuse me, when technology engineers uh, intimacy, relationships can be reduced to mere connections. And then easy connections become redefined as intimacy. But otherwise, cyber intimacy slide into cyber solitudes. In other words, community is more elusive than ever before. And our church has an incredible opportunity to reach our culture by offering people what they're actually longing for. Family. Number three. You guys, this is this good? Helpful? A life shared with loving family is more than a group of friends or just you, your spouse, and kids. Let's say that again. A life shared with loving family is more than your group of friends who happen to be Christian that hang out and your, you, your spouse, and your kids. Go to Mark chapter three. This is probably gonna be the hardest one to receive because privacy is one of our big idols in the American church and American family, but also as community, we are people who absolutely, we, we absolutely uh, distrust difference, and we re- regularly pull ourselves away from people who are different from us. But look at what Mark chapter 3, verse 31, what Jesus does. He says this, then Jesus' mother and brother arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? He looked around at the people seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is cute to us today. This was scandalous and offensive in Jesus' context. This was so, this was a, in some, some would say this was a public shaming of, of his family. Because he's, he's redefined, in the first century, um, he's publicly distancing, distancing himself from his biological family, who in the first century would have been everything. It's where you get your place of identity, your income, it's where you work, you share life and house, everything. And he's essentially saying that what you could defer from this is, or re- what you can receive from this is that Jesus reorients everything else in your life, including social ties. Who, the question, who are my mother and my brothers? This is an invitation for followers of Jesus. That it's a new reality. The kingdom of God creates a new reality, a new family. It's not, it's not exclusive to blood and tribe and last names or inheritance or similarities or similar makeup, ethnic groups or, or language or identities. He's breaking all of the traditions of his world and he's radically reorienting the powerful social ties that we have around the mission of God. 
And as Christians, we orient our life around our group of friends and our families and our priorities around our families and our careers and our life, our individualism, but also what makes us safe. But Jesus says, who is my mother and my brother? It's the one doing the mission of God that becomes my family. Now, now play, this, play it out. Weave it out into your life. When we take away the mission from the people of God, we create cliques. When we take away the urgency of multiplication in our life, or we, we take away the embrace of the outsider, Paul says to practice hospitality to strangers. Now, now hospitality in the first century was letting people stay in your home, sometimes giving them your bed. Practice that. This is a command. And, and so much of our life is oriented around our routine, our calendar, our schedule, our, what fits in. And Jesus says the, th- the thing that makes us family is the mission of God. The covenant we make together is that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead and we are his disciples and missionaries and ministers of reconciliation to the world. We come together as family with that mission. The moment we say we're just coming together to be family without the mission, we no longer have a church. Because church without mission is not a church. But so many of our churches are without mission. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't send out missionaries. The church is missionary. The church is the missionary. And so I already can, I've already felt the tension from so many of you that are like, I, I don't really want to be in a house church. Our community group's been great. Why would we, like you're asking me to invest my life, but then we have to launch another house church within the year and leave. And that doesn't make sense to me. This is where it makes sense. Mission always moves us forward for the lost because you exist for the world, not for yourselves. The church exists for the outsiders, not for, for its members. You guys understand, is this okay? And so I, th- I think some of us need to repent. That's the, the strongest word I could come up with. Actually, I can come up with a lot stronger words. <laughs> not appropriate for families. Um, but I, I feel like this. I need to repent. I'll speak from ways that I've let myself get comfortable with people that I hang out with. I mean, I'm in ministry. I get a paycheck from the church. So it's so easy to just think that I, I can just, I, I could see it all as ministry when God's saying, no, I want you to invest in new relationships, that people that are different than you. You need to, you need to expand the community that you've kind of let into your life. And that's, that's why we're starting House Church. God's saying that to us, my wife and I. And that's hard because we have a lot of relationships and um, the Lord wants us to move forward. And this is what it means to be church. Sherry Turkle also says this, communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsi- responsibilities. I just want to stay here for one second. I remember when we started a, a life group at the garden, the first life group, or we had, a, we had life groups and then missional communities and community groups and garden groups, and now we have house churches. They've all morphed over the years, but the first one we started was with this, uh, we didn't have any friends at this church because there were like 12 of us. And so Alex and I moved from Newport Beach, Costa Mesa area uh, to here and we, all of our friends stayed and we're like, we're gonna pray for one friendship because it was lonely. It was so lonely to be in a new city. I mean, it could have been Africa for us. We didn't know anyone here really. And we wanted one, one couple that we would hang out with, one friend. And we started this life group. And from the beginning, we said, we're gonna multiply life groups. This group will exist for the outsider. We're gonna do this. But as it grew, it was like, half the group were like, we're not letting anyone else in. 
I, I kid you not, people were saying to us, we had to have like two or three nights of our life group specifically dealing with the conflict that I was causing by saying we have to plant other life groups out of here. You guys have to go. People were hurt and angry with me. And eventually they left our church, no joke. Because they, didn't, they couldn't see the mission. So I'm, I'm saying this publicly because I, I know it's much easier to hunker down and become holy huddles and be best friends for life and be in our group of, with a group of people for 50 years and be proud of our little coffee dates that we have. There has to be an urgency that to be a covenantal community, that itself with our culture is a mission. People are longing for this. We need to give it to them. And invite them in. Are you with me? Okay, I'm gonna, I got like four, a few other more, so a few other points. Whew. Yeah, Jeremiah, that's, that's why he's here. <laughs> Keep me focused, brother. Seriously love you. A life shared with loving family, number four, is never ideal and is the byproduct of time and commitment. Acts two and four, aren't those beautiful? Aren't those so, like, no one had need among them? At the end of Acts 4, Barnabas sells this land and just gives it to the apostles. And he's like, he's given like this nickname, the son of encouragement. I mean, people are like, oh, this stuff, stuff's happening. Grace is everywhere. Like, spirit of God's flowing. But what comes after Acts 4? It's obvious. Acts 5. Look at verse one of Acts 5. So this is after that, that crazy passage of um, idealistic community. The very next passage. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, also sold a piece of property. They saw Barnabas do it. So we're gonna do it. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down dead. That's crazy to me. That's like not the idealized community I thought, right? Like literally, there's no needs. But then the next chapter, this guy dies for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a whole, we've talked about this, a whole sermon about hypocrisy, that the thing that God's doing, there's no place to say one thing and do another. It's about witness. And then you go to Acts 6, and it's in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Greek-speaking Jews among them complained against the Jewish-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they're complaining and grumbling in, amongst themselves. Brothers and sisters, this is the same church. It's not all cracked up to be what we think. In other words, it's not always ideal. Community is never ideal. And Jean Venier says this. I got a bunch of quotes because I've been preparing this series for like a year. Um, and I just want you to take this, but this one speaks to why it's so profound that this, this season is beautiful, but we gotta pay attention to what this season is for us. Jean Venier says this. Almost everyone finds their early days in community ideal. It's all, it all seems perfect. They feel they're surrounded by saints and heroes or at the least most exceptional people who are everything they want to be themselves. And then comes the letdown. The greater their idealization of the community at the start, the greater the disenchantment. Just, that's what happens here all the time. We get in and we're so excited. It's amazing. And then someone wrongs us. This church 
sucks. I'm out. They do this there. And we become a victim, and this happens. You are, some people are victimized, but we, we, we put the, the label, the church, as the causer of my pain, and we associate individual brokenness with corporate holiness and anger or whatever, corporate distrust and, and uh, disenchantment is what Jean Venier says. If people manage to get through the second period, they come to a third phase, that of realize and of true commitment. I love this. Listen to this. And for all the house church pastors, we'll send this out to you, but I, I feel like we should just read this in our first meeting. They no longer see other members of the community as saints or devils, but as people, each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing with their own hope. The community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth, and they are ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the members and other members as they are, they are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. Isn't that good? The three stages that Jean Venier talks about, and I, this is what I, I mean, it's the idealization, the disenchantment, and the commitment. So most people don't get past two. We idealize community, and then things don't go as we planned, and we just leave. And this is literally the problem with millennials, right? Don't have coffee, I'm out. I'm out. Or even in the church world, they don't have great kids ministry or they don't have, you know, like the kids ministry looks like this and we just shop until we find, you know, what you realize if you just keep doing that, you'll never actually go. So we ache for belonging and meaningful community, but we just want to keep our options open, right? We approach community with a consumer mindset. What do they have to offer me? And, and I hear this, at the, I, I belong to the garden. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I come once a month and I podcast and I follow your Twitter feed and your Instagram. That's not what it means to belong to a community. And the reality is you can't have family without commitment. If you want community, in-depth, safe, open, honest, long-term relationships, you have to commit to a group of people. If you want this Jesus community that you see in the scriptures, you have to be willing to allow the mission to move you forward in your family. I'm gonna skip, there's a, great, uh, there's a great quote from a Benedictine monastery of how they approach stability, but I won't share that right now. Number five, a life shared with loving family is essential for a well-lived life. Is this, are you guys doing good? Are we awake, 10 o'clock? I mean, <laughs> you don't even drink coffee, do you, Jeremiah? No coffee? No coffee, yeah, I'm awake now. Um, a life shared with loving family is essential for a well-lived life. Uh, follower of Jesus or not, you are designed for relationships. And there's this, the author of Relational Soul who wrote this profound book uh, from two psychologists who talked about the role of relationships in healing say this, at the core of our being is the truth. Uh, at the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with others or one another, with another. Um, you were designed to live in relationship. Every, uh, I, I, every person that I've seen struggle with addiction, the moment they pull themselves out of community, they relapse, almost always. And there's a saying in AA, it's, it's like, if you isolate, you're sick. Is that right, Don? If you isolate, you're sick. 
And what, what you have to know is to thrive as a human being, as, an, as a person, you need brothers and sisters around you. It's just essential for a well-lived life. In fact, every divorce that I've witnessed in the garden has always one common characteristic. There's always tons of different things, but there's always one similar characteristic in all of them across the board. They all, all marriages step away from community. They stop coming to a church. They stop participating in a community group. And that's when you should be pressing in. A well-lived life, the wisdom of a well-lived life is to invite people into your life to share community with. So one of the things that we're offering the world through a life share with a loving family is the potential to become fully alive as a human. That happens when we, we engage in each other's lives in a more intentional way and we become family. Is that good? I, I think of that line in Romans 12. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Because life is better in community. You learn to journey with people in the highs and the lows. And um, you can share the things that you're struggling with intentionally. I, I, I just, I don't know, I would not be a pastor today if I did not have that type of community within our church. There have been too many seasons of despair and darkness where people have come around, my wife and I, and held us, literally held us through darkness. I mean, even this last few weeks, like we've been in this crazy transition. This last week, my wife and I moved. Our house is selling. We moved into a neighborhood. We're launching a church. We literally moved like Friday, everything. And we're starting a house church Tuesday. And we have two kids. It's just the most chaotic time. And there was so much stress and uncertainty. We didn't have a buyer. There's all sorts of things. And I had, we had dinners dropped off. We had people calling us saying, well, we've got your back. Don't worry. Like praying for us. We had, we were like, we made, the, I didn't have to buy a truck. We literally had like tons of people just move us and set our stuff up. It was like, I got to receive the most amazing gift of community from the community I'm a part of. And it, it's, and that's just the fun stuff. Like this isn't, been, there's been some really dark seasons that we've been held through. Um, and I know some of you have had this similar seasons. And if it wasn't for community, we wouldn't have a well-lived life. Make sense? Last one, uh, the last clarifying, last clarifying kind of uh, statement is a life shared with loving family is the context for transformation. A spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay in community, I'm gonna put that in there, grow. People who leave do not grow. It is simple but profound. Uh, it is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. This is from Slow Church. And this is, this is another thing. I, I tell people who are, who are not married, and, and, and marriage isn't the goal of singleness. I just want to make sure you know that. That sing, like, if you're single, that's, the goal necessarily is not to get married, and I think so many churches make that the priority. But one thing that I've experienced in my life, I got married at 22, um, is that marriage has sanctified me. And if you're married, you know what I mean. Like, in other words, let me just say it in another way. Like, uh, I get called out on my ish. Like, so, so two 21-year-old and a 22-year-old get together, and then we start a church a year later, and we're both type A personalities, and, and we, we are strong alphas, and that will sharpen iron. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, my, and I've seen, like, and, and by sticking it out, we've just matured, but the same is for community. What I've seen is the moment there's conflict, people just leave. 
How can you leave a, 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 a family? You can't, you shouldn't. And so many of us have been broken by this because our families have left us. So this is why it's an alternative. But I just wanna encourage you, just get plugged in and stay committed to living a communal life and just watch the growth. Give people permission to call you out. Hey, you didn't text me back for like three days. Oh man, I totally spaced, I'm sorry. Oh, I forgive you, you're good. Or man, I, I'm really bad with texting back. Uh, would you hold me accountable? Like, I wanna be better at that. Hey, you said one thing and then you did something else. I see this all the time. Or you said, yes, you'll commit and then you, you backed off, you didn't show up and didn't say anything. Well, I'm really good at saying yes because I don't want to let you down and I don't want to miss out, but that's, something else came up. Huh? Are we okay? You can forgive those people. So it's just this process. Like transformation happens in community. Okay, and I'm just going to close with this. So this, I'm just, this is a teaching. It's just, we're going we're gonna, to, this week in our house church, we're going to talk about what it means. We're going to do this regularly. What does it mean for us to be a shared loving family together? How do we do this in our, in our house churches? How do we do this together? Um, this can't happen here ever. This, this will not happen on this level. It can only happen when you get on a smaller level. So five quick things with some statements. So it, I, I, some of this is a heady teaching I'm giving you, but all of this stuff is to get you to these practices. So if all you hear is we're gonna do these things together, perfect. Number one, how do we build then a life share with loving family? Number one, eat meals together. Genius. All throughout the New Testament, just look at how often Jesus is going to a meal, coming from a meal, or at a meal. And let's not take away the significance of those descriptions. That the table is so significant to first century life and Jew Jewish life. And for us, we need to get back to the meal, uh, back to the dinner table. So I want you to eat meals with people in your church, your house church people in the church, but I really want you to eat, meal with, eat meals with people outside of the church that don't know Jesus. This is what makes Alpha so amazing. You get people there because there's good food and free booze. That's awesome. But they discussed the most meaningful discussions over a meal. That's what we should be doing regularly. Invite people into your home, eat meals. That dis and some of you, make it, a, make it like, hey, once a week, we'll have someone from our house church, and once a week, we'll have someone outside of our house church, or alternate it. De develop a discipline. Every Thursday night, you're hosting new people over at your house. Put that in the calendar as a family, as an individual. Be intentional. It will build community over a long period of time. This week, we were moving. We had no furniture in our house, but we decided last Sunday we wanted to stay in our new house. It's just how we are. We're like, we'll grab the mattresses and we'll do it. And it was a rough week because of it. It was like really hard, like chaos. People, things were unfinished, and both my wife and I need everything's finished. There's kind of just go, go, go. Thursday, it was, it was like Ezra was all over the place. He's in here. He was all over the place. And it was a hard few days with him. And my wife's like, you know what we need more than anything? It's not discipline. What we need is a meal together and just a slowed down night. So Thursday, we're not doing anything. We're not moving stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna picnic in our living room with some food and just have a normal time. Because we eat dinner every night together as a family, almost all meals at a table. So we sit down and eat Friday, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, still today. It's been so much better. Meal, eat meals together. Cool? That's pretty ingenious, right? Just Dan, you're like, you're giving me, this is what we pay you for? No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is share your heart. Share our hearts. That idea of being one heart, one mind. What that means as a discipline 
is to go there with people. I'm giving you permission to ask tough questions. Don't, don't get, let people off the hook when they say I'm doing good. Press in and follow up. You know your, your friend just lost his job. Bro, what's, your, what's, what, what's creating, do you have anxiety? What do you need? That's the next discipline. Like go there. How's your marriage really doing? Married couples, we know when it's not going, there are, there are these all, like throughout the week, right? Go there. What's the consistent pattern of, of conflict you guys are dealing with? Let's pray. You know what? We're gonna commit to praying. Open up your heart to each other and that will create family. Don't go a week without texting someone difficult questions or serious questions and expecting follow-up. One of the, the things that we need to get to are like, how are we dealing with our finances? House churches, talk to your house, house church pastors. Talk to your churches uh, about how much debt they have. And just say, hey, Belmont Heights has $3 million of debts or whatever, you know, because everyone's Belmont. Belmont, whatever. <laughs> we, we should be going after the things that are attached to our heart. Well, let's share those things. Let's, let's put everything on the table, right? I'm really struggling with this. I'm, I'm really afraid of this. Let's, guys, go there. Be vulnerable with each other is one way you could say it. Cool? Number three, share our stuff, time, and hobbies. How do, fam- what, what makes a family? What we, we have meals together. We have to share everything. I mean, how many of you had brothers or sisters growing up? Like I, I shared this last week. My brother took all of my clothes and ruined it every time. It was so frustrating. We share everything. Share time. Share your hobbies. Don't make it about your life. Include people into your hobbies. This will build community. People that are lonely and you're, you're doing triathlons all the time, yeah, you chose a sport that you can only do it by yourself. <laughs> try, try ping pong or something, you know? Like, <laughs> just don't try it with someone who's really competitive at ping pong because then it's, it's not fun anyways, okay? Amen. Amen. Our staff knows what's up because we had a ping pong table for a while and then it just got pushed away because I was too aggressive and mean. I was like, you suck it out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's actually true. I confess it. Uh, f- number four, share oh, with our stuff all of your resources. One of my favorite things is connecting people. I've been given like some friends in different parts of the world. So I just love making those connections. One of my friends was in, in Hawaii and I had another friend. I'm like, hey, you guys would love each other. And truly they built this friendship that I think will be sustained. That's, we can give what we have, relationships, time, energy, money, um, connections, knowledge. Some of you have incredible knowledge because of your education. Give that away, all right? And be preemptive and eager to give it away. Don't just wait for the email to come. It, there's no way our all needs will be met in our church if you're expecting us to create some administrative social network to help with the needs. Don't come to me saying I have extra stuff. Live in community and when the opportune comes, opportunity comes, just share with the people that you're in community with. Cool? Number four, stay together, embrace the pain, and grow up together. This is a discipline. It's a little harder to practice, but in other words, when things get hard, be willing to work them out, Right? Stay together. Stay committed to each other. Man, being a part of this church for eight years, I, I, I've mentioned it so many times. It's so hard for me to see people that were with us in the beginning and then when conflict emerges about politics or conflict emerges about um, positional views about things that the world is really concerned with, cause us to just, I'm out. 
I don't agree with this thing or this thing. I'm like, whoa, what, what, what brought us together in the first place then? You're saying these things are more important than Jesus and his mission and us being unified like his prayer and together than, than the, the politics? Really? That's more important to you that you're in a community that affirms all of your political agendas? That's, that's not fair. Jesus said it's the kingdom. Stay together. So if somebody hurts you, don't come to me and tell them they hurt you. Go to them and say, I'm going to forgive you. Don't even give them a chance to let, be so kind to them and continually forgive. I mean, don't get, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about relational conflict. Forgive people that hurt you, that misunderstood you, that said an email with a tone that you think was a, a tone and it wasn't a tone. <laughs> like, forgive the person that keeps putting the same thing on Facebook. You know it's fake news. <laughs> don't retweet it. All right, number five, last one, practices. And then we're gonna go worship together and then feast together. Oh, this one is um, something I learned along the way. And this is an invitation for discipleship. This is how I've, my wife and I have learned to build relationship. It's just three simple, but it's a practice, but three simple steps. Include, invite, and invest. So if you wanna build new community, new friendships, just include people into the life and the things that you're already doing. So if you're hanging out at the beach, like all summer long on paternity leave, I just text everyone, hey, I'm going to the beach with my son. And half the time it was just me and Ezra, which was fine. And then, and then other people came, people that I didn't have necessarily great relationships with, but I wanted to include new community because God was speaking to me about that. So I just include them. Include them to come hang out. I, I have young men that want to be... Um, interns or discipled at the garden in our ministry. And so my invitation first to them is just come hang out. Come to our staff meetings, come on Sundays, come to my house church or community group, come to a prayer training. Just include them in what's already happening. And if they keep coming, then I go to the next place. Well, I'll just invite them intentionally. Hey, I'm going on, I'm gonna speak over here. You wanna come with me? Hey, we're going, we're going down to Second Street. Do you got this, this couple, Alex and I, will include couples or families. Come with us on Second. We're just gonna, we're gonna hang out or we want you over for dinner tonight. Just you guys. We wanna hang out with you. Invite them into specific times in your life. So, um, and the last thing is just to, to ask God if these are people you need to invest life with and give them time, prayer, energy. Everyone in my house church, I've been praying for since they've signed up. Some of you have weaseled in. I don't know how. Show me your secret technology skills. But, but that investment, Alex and I are saying no to lots of other things to say yes to this, to pray and invest our lives in a group of people. And hopefully they'll multiply. But this is for all of us. To be a, in a shared loving family, we have to in, include people, invite people, and invest in their lives. Cool? So if there's one thing you do, start eating meals together intentionally. Don't sit in front of Netflix for dinner. I keep calling out, or Amazon Prime, or HBO Now, or what, NBC, or Apple TV, or whatever, whatever the thing is. Like, use that as the primary place for expanding the kingdom. Eat meals together, share your hearts, share your stuff, time, hobbies. Uh, stay together, embrace the pain, grow up together, include, invite, and invest. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.